think the easiest way, the most common way is first, you got to start with, first, you need a cash flowing property. You need a property that the cash flow is going to be greater than your mortgage. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Mike Gilman, former lawyer at Wall Street Investment Banks. Mike was over 10 years of experience acquiring and repositioning multifamily assets and generating exceptional returns on capital. After successfully building his real estate portfolio, approaching 100 units across the Northeast, he self-managed through MSA Properties LLC. Mike established Cross Mountain Capital to bring best-in-class returns to sophisticated investors such as family offices, investment funds, and professionals looking to diversify their investment portfolio uh, into real estate. But before devoting himself full-time to Cross Mountain Capital, Michael was head of legal and portfolio management at Easy Knock. He managed over $250 million uh, in residential properties and advised on legal matters related to the company in multi-state real estate business and legal issues. So a great background to have getting into real estate, right? Uh, and Mike had, had just that. He's growing his company now, his commercial real estate business. But he's even going to talk a little bit about getting into how he got started into you know smaller real estate, even without any any of his own money and, and where that's taken him now. Obviously, it's, it's grown a lot. He's not still doing that, but he does share just a couple of tips around that. He's going to dive into uh, the current interest rate cycle, good time to buy, what, you know, some things like that that I know everybody is interested in at the moment. Mike, welcome to the show. Honored to meet you and have you on. Uh, it's interesting, you know, when I when I get to interview people and talk and talk to folks who you know spent a lot of time and energy building a career and, and having a really a career path that most would see crazy leaving and going and doing something as as, as silly as real estate, right? <laughs> no. I, so just grateful to have you on, and, and I'm encouraging you know by your story. I want the listeners to know more about you, and uh, and so Mike, you know who are you? Tell the listeners a little more about yourself, your background. Let's dive into that uh, to some degree. I know you're a former lawyer on Wall Street, and uh, uh, you know that doesn't happen uh, just by thinking about you know kind of nonchalantly trying to trying to get somewhere, right? You know, no doubt that took a lot of time and energy. But let's talk about that. You know, your background a little bit, and and how you got where you're at now. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so I was always pretty uh, entrepreneurial minded, kind of growing up. The so only child of my parents kind of were pushing me to be a lawyer or doctor, uh, kind of listened to them and, and went to law school, became a lawyer, but was always, again, it, I wanted to build wealth. And I was I was always very much into economics. I was a big trader. I like trading, day trading, swing trading. So I figured, well, let me just start here. Maybe I'll, I'll transition over investment banking or trading. And so anyway, that's how kind of I started on the legal side. This was in uh, 2009, right in the middle of the, you know, the great kind of housing bust and the, the meltdowns that were happening on Wall Street. So it was you know pretty interesting time. And, you know, right away it being there uh, at that time, what, what kind of really resonated or affected me was just how quickly things could evaporate. Uh, you know, the securities could evaporate all this wealth just overnight vanish. And it, it's something that affected me growing up. My parents uh, lost a lot dot com uh, bubble. And so kind of being there, looking around, you know, I was always searching for, well, what's the best way to, where should I put my money? And it took me essentially being on Wall Street, took me to real estate because it, it, it was tangible, it was real. And more specifically at the time, just cash flowing real estate. It seemed like if you could buy, you know, a nice cash flowing property that was, the, the cap rate was at a nice premium, a nice spread to your financing it seemed tough to go wrong with that. You're talking about just stabilized, you know, occupied property. So with that in mind, 
and knowing that, you know, I didn't want to, you know, trade time for money forever. I wanted to build wealth, be an investor and, and you know, derive my income from, from assets. I, I started buying just cash flow and real estate. This was, so I was based in New York and I found um, just really good deals in New England. There's just not a lot of investors up there. People are scared of the cold, I think. For one, you know, they're scared of the damage it does to the properties and the snow. So, you know, I found you could get 10 cappers plus uh, with, with just heavy value add. Value add in all kinds of ways because there was, you know, old mechanicals so you could improve, lower your expenses because heating was a big thing. Certainly it was all mom and pop. So just gross pricing and efficiencies. And then the big thing was uh, there was no supply and you, people don't build new developments up there. So, you know, it never had gangbusters growth. Actually, the lack of supply, in my opinion, made a much tighter rental market than many others. So it was like, in my view, just a great sleeper market. So anyway, I started like cobbling together, uh, you know, multifamilies, but I'll kind of stop there because I've said a lot. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I, I appreciate your path, even where you're investing a little bit, because I was wanting to ask you what you're currently investing in. What does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, after a time doing that building, kind of my own portfolio, it dawned on me to start pooling capital. And especially at this time, I, I shifted my career more to real estate. I was at a startup. I was surprised at how easy it was to just to raise capital for startups. It really easy. Just throw some projections on. I was just shocked because this was like really risky stuff. And you know, most startups fail. So, but the fact that there was so much capital available, it was like, well, you know, I have this look at this little track record I've assembled. This is really uh safe stuff that is making great money. So I, I decided at that point to pool capital. And that's when I we, we started focus, uh, shifting strategies a bit. Uh, you know, one of the issues in New England, it's a smaller market. It's tough to get larger deals. And also it's not very liquid, you know, stuff could, or traditionally it wasn't very liquid now. It, it's a different story, but, you know, stuff could linger on the market there. We wanted something where we could do a shorter hold, like a reposition in and out. And so we knew we needed to be in a major market, you know, more more towards major markets to really pool capital, in, in my opinion, the way I wanted to. So that's only what took us uh, to different markets. I ended up after much uh, kind of debate on where I wanted to plant my flag. It signed on Colorado, and, and that was uh, for a number of reasons. One, one was obviously great fundamentals, economics, population, very favorable business climate. You know, right there behind North Carolina in many of the rankings. And then the big one, the second big one was, it was a place, uh, you know, I loved, I love to visit. I love the mountains, big, big skier, big trail runner. And so it, it just resonated with me. So that's where we started to, to focus, expanding and kind of grew from there. One thing that was pretty important to us or allowed us to succeed in New England was self-management and construction. And, and that's something we kind of replicated in, in Colorado by partnering with already already built kind of operation, a uh, existing construction and property management company where we've now um, essentially developed like exclusivity and really are scaling together with uh, my partner, Phil, over there. That's interesting. That, that's neat to know that because uh, that's constant conversation. It seems people are having or wondering about uh, is, you know, should I bring management or, you know, construction in-house? Should I build those teams and, and try to do that myself or uh, versus hiring a third party? And, and knowing that, you can probably speak to some pros and cons of, of owning or having your own management construction companies. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the stuff we're doing class C to Bs, maybe some class Bs to P pluses, A minus. And those kind of repositions, they're really hard. To be honest with you, property management side is my least favorite side of the business. So it's not something I kind of, if I could have found a company that, that would have done it right, you know, repositioned it, how, you know, kind of the, the key to us is just speed execution coming in on budget, 
on time. And it was just, I, I couldn't find an outfit like that. And so that's why we started doing it from scratch. And then, you know, going into Colorado, I didn't want to do it from scratch. Kind of did the next best thing, which was integrate outfit that was doing really well. But um, I mean, to me, it's it's important because on these repositions, it's just being able to control your margins, your speed, your allocating crews. We, you know, we've gone through, we, we've had to fire a few property managers. Of course. Coming to that conclusion. Yeah. It's something I see a lot of operators go through, right? Or numerous third party, or maybe they find a great one. Oftentimes uh, you hear nothing but negatives about third-party management. Uh, it's something we re- we've recently brought in-house as well. It's just done a number of things for us by doing that. But it's it's a hard band-aid to pull off, right, you know, and, and decide to do. So, but uh, but I know that you've also uh, you're doing deals that, you know without even using, you know, some of your own money or, or your you know, developed methods of doing that. Maybe speak to that a little bit. I know there's people listening who would love to do that as well. Obviously, you know, we raise lots of money and do deals. Uh, we invest our own money, but we could do it without our own money. But essentially, we're we're still paying the team and and doing all this stuff. But how do you see doing deals without using your own money? Yeah. And so I'll speak to that in kind of smaller context. Certainly when we pool capital, the one of the important things is for the sponsor to, to be in the stack and, and have skin in the game. So I'll kind of talk about it outside of that when I was doing deals, just, just me or how anyone could really buy a property and not put in a single dollar. And so I think the easiest way, the most common way is first, you got to start with, first, you need a cash flowing property. You need a property that the cash flow is going to be greater than your mortgage. You know, it needs to be plus 1.25 plus on the TSCR. So something, so in my case, I was looking for stuff that was at least 300, 400 basis point spread to your cost of financing. So let's say your debt is 6%, you know, because if, if you're using this strategy, you're using high leverage, you really want a nice cushion. So I really want like a 400 basis point spread minimum, I would say. And so you're looking for 10 cappers out of the gate oh, with value add. So back to how do you not use any of your money? So the typical commercial lender will come with 75%. So you know, they'll look at the property, it cash flows, uh, no problem. On the underwriting, they'll come with 75%. Most of them, these are especially like credit unions and regional banks, very relationship-based. And typically, if they trust in you, your business plan, the other 25% does not have to be your capital. So you get that from anywhere else. You get it from your friend, you can borrow it from your friend, you could have them invest. Or in my case, what I was doing was I, I had a HELOC. So I was just pulling money from my HELOC to cover that capital contribution. So that's how I started building up cash flowing properties with kind of minimal, you know, upfront in. And the only way, you know, it's it's a high risk strategy. So you need a really safe cash flowing asset, in my opinion. Yeah. If you're paying too much in taxes and you want to recession proof your investment portfolio while also avoiding those common pitfalls that many investors and syndicators fall into, You should attend Think Multifamily's annual Fire Summit Conference, November 11th and 12th. You can save $100 by using promo code Whitney100 when you go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash fire. Again, that's promo code Whitney100 to save $100. Uh, that is a strategy I've heard different people use. And you talk about, you know, higher risk and 
uh, I would say, yeah, one question, what, what happens if your this property is a flop and are you prepared for that? You know, now that you've taken out the HELOC as well, what were some ways maybe you calculated that or thought through or even the risks of that? However, I also say uh, before we get to that, you got to be willing to take a few risks often to, to get started even, right? Or, or to make a big path or for investing and doing well in this business. But we're, our goal is to minimize all the risks possible, right? And so how did you do that? Or how did you think through that with, with that type of plan? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to me, looking at it, it, there wasn't much risk, at least compared to putting my money in the stock market, just because there, this was a stabilized building that you, you could go back 10 years. It was like 100%, 95 to 100% occupied in a small town where there was no new development. Like just things were steady. There was no volatility. So, you know, it would really take, you know, some type of cataclysm on insurable event, in which case I'd say uh, most people would be in trouble. Yeah. Another reason we love real estate, right? I I mean, you're owning an asset. You have this physical thing. Hopefully, you've done your homework to know that it's cash flowing, like you're talking about for sure. Right? You hope. Uh, speak to what does it mean when? Because I just want to make sure everybody understands this. Like you talk about, you know, the debt six percent. You say you want at least a four hundred basis point spread. What does that mean? Or maybe you can walk us through that a little bit, so I can, we can just ensure everybody understands uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say you're borrowing a million dollars, right? And the coupon there is six six percent. And let's just make it simple. It's interest only. Your annual interest payment for your cost to service your debt is $60,000. So you want a property that's going to cash flow in excess of that. So when I say a 10 cap, let's just take that million dollars, property for million using 100% financing. That 10 cap, that means it should be thrown off. It would be thrown off about uh, 100,000 a year. So right there, you're making 40000 which is essentially that, that basis point spread. Okay. Now that's helpful. Now though, now that you, you, your business has grown, now you're, you're raising money, you're doing larger deals. Speak to that a little bit or moving into raising larger amounts of money now and, and going that path versus sticking to that business plan or maybe single family or you know, sm- smaller uh, residential. You know, after, after doing this kind of strategy for quite some time, and I almost stopped because I was, uh, I was on Wall Street and I had like, I was up to like 60 units. And the last one was just a huge headache. And we were again self managing, but at 60 units, like you're self managing. There's no outsourcing, right? So you're dealing with everything. And it was just anything that could go wrong, it would go wrong. It's like a cursed building. Like uh, mechanicals were cursed, just like everything. Like a storm came by, the roof hatch blow off. And and it was funny because um, I went into it. And so here's another one. We, we went into it. Uh, the ground floor was a commercial unit. And so we partnered with this local couple. They were farmers and they had this great vision of this organic cafe and where they'd sell this produce. And we kind of like subsidized it. And, and so the, but they were just not very good at the business aspect of it. So they weren't making any money. So, you know, we had spent just a lot of time with, with like this vision. So anyway, I'm like sitting here. On, uh, I forget which bank I was, but there's just you know hundred million dollar deals going off left and right, and I'm here dealing like I'm like getting these emails about apartment issues. That's fifty thousand dollar. You know that was the unit price that we were buying at. It was fifty thousand dollars for less. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, is this really like the right way? And so I stopped, stopped for a bit. Then COVID hit, and that's that's really when, when rates went down. That's where I you know saw the opportunity to pool capital and thought the time was right. So yeah, I mean essentially it. Just got into larger buildings because it was, uh, in my opinion, if I was going to do it full time and really make you know an income out of it and replace and more than replace what I was making, that this was the path to do that because I wasn't really just going to get there just aggregating little cash flowing properties. So that's kind of what what sparked the transition. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What about? 
Uh, just your growth in this in, in the commercial real estate business as well, or, or being able to raise a lot, enough money to do big deals, and what were what were some of the steps you took to be able to get to where you're at now? The first deal is always the hardest, so obviously that's the important step. Kind of right sizing it for what you can raise. Our first deal, it, it was uh, we raised two two point six million. It was tough on, on hindsight. You know, we we probably should have started smaller. And that was friends and family at first, like your first deal. Most people, it's likely going to be friends and family. So that's a tough part also because they know you for like me. I was like, wait, aren't you an attorney? Like, what are you doing? And so just doing that mind shift change is tough. And But eventually, at least for me, it was clear that to really scale kind of the focus, I, I changed my focus to professional investors. And for me, I, I don't like raising capital. I don't like, you know, it, it's tough to aggregate, you know, large sizes with uh, individual check writers. So that's kind of what led us to transition more to institutional check writers, which, you know, it sounds great. Everyone's like, yeah, please, I'd love, you know, one large check. But you have to also realize your your economics get, get really squeezed there, like kind of the, the waterfalls you could pass off on, you know, retail or ind- individual syndications, uh, you just get... Um, you know, eviscerated with from larger investors. Capital is a lot more expensive that way, isn't it? You know, Mike, what about, uh, everybody has the question, right, about where we're at in this interest rate cycle or or just the uh, economy in general, or is it a good time to buy, not? What are your thoughts and how your business is moving forward right now? Yeah, so I'd personally, since uh, two, 2009, when they started easing and flooding the system with liquidity, I thought that higher rates would, would and inflation would follow quite shortly thereafter. And so I was just perpetually stunned and taken aback when it never materialized. And in fact, the easing kept coming. And um, the, the fact that it's finally happening and it's finally here, it's really just interesting because I, I, I almost got into this mindset that the can could be kicked uh, perpetually. You know, the kind of the, the rate at, at which it's happening, I, I think, is um, much uh, certainly steeper and faster than anyone predicted. I think it's destabilizing and they're, they're probably overdoing it. And I think it's going to, uh, we're bearish. I think it's going to cause uh, liquidity issues go, going into 2013. If they keep this up, I think there's going to be continued price softening and look at, for real estate for all assets. And so we, uh, we're, we're bearish during such times. I think there's uh, opportunities because when the dislocations happen, that's when people uh, tend to need to sell at depressed prices. And, you know, we're just looking at some stats. There's like, and then this is just one stat about 50 billion of bridge loans that were taken out that are coming due next year for which the DSCR ratio is just unsupportable. Like they can't get refinanced. Like this stuff has to hit the market. And you know, some people say that's just the, the surface. So I definitely think there'll be uh, pricing pressure. And so we're, you know, we're buyers at the right price and especially with the right financing structure, certainly debt assumptions look really good, seller financing, uh, anything like that. We started um, doing full, taking full recourse bank loans just because the spreads are tighter there. So yeah, kind of how we're approaching it. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? So honestly, it's um just having a deal like myself. I'm not very social. I don't like going out like conferences. Uh, I don't know. I'm just uh, not. I've never been one to really put myself out there. So we uh, what we tend to do is we get a deal and we'll go to market with it. We have some good broker relationships that they'll always introduce us to new investors. So we um, with each new deal, we always try to get it in front of 
new people because then they they look at it, they ask questions, like most of them, like whatever, eight out of 10 will pass, but you added them to your Rolodex and the next time they're familiar with you, they know you, they've seen your deals before and it just becomes uh, easier and your network kind of just expands. That's how we uh, have been pretty successful at, at building out our network is just by having like good deal flow, which another aspect we haven't spoken about was you know, when we pivoted markets, one of the things we focused on was off-market acquisitions and building out. We partnered with a company uh, offered who's become a great partner for us to uh, source off-market. And, and that was uh, pretty big for us, just having, you know, really appetizing deals. That's helpful in thinking through that or how you all finding or how you're working through finding investors, even though, in, you know, not going to networking events and things like that, it can still be done, right? What about, what are some of the most important metrics that, that you track? It could be personally, professionally, uh, and I just wonder, like, what's important to people? You know, are they thinking through? It could be your your bench press, you know, or you know, or it could be, you know, I, I want to know this about, you know, I want to make sure we're underwriting this many deals. Uh, but what are what are some of those things for you? Yeah, it's really the asset management, the deal execution, and making sure we're. You know, we, we always like to underwrite the deal so that we can exceed our pro forma. So doing variance reports, just the, on the asset management, drilling down into where we are with expenses, where we are with CapEx budgets, speed of, speed of unit turns and vacancies, especially um, on the heavier value add lifts. Like, we, you know, we have buildings we've taken over that were, you know, 50% occupied. And so get, getting those up and fully rented is not that easy because it's... When you, when you have something that's vacant, it's just harder to, to lease it. Like it's less appealing, right? So just being on top of all these metrics that leads to our, us coming in ahead of our projections is really what we focus on the most. For sure. What are some habits that you are disciplined about that have produced the highest return for you? Yeah, I'd say it's making sure you get enough rest and exercise, just very simple things like that. I mean, for me, a big part of is, uh, you know, I'm big into uh, exercising. Like I love running, for example, uh, on the trails, I clears my head, I like solve problems. You get into like these flow states and just combine that with being well rested and not stressed. It has kind of been, you know, key to just managing you know, huge um, kind of multitasking and moving the ball forward. And when you have all, all these things going on as a sponsor, as you know. That's interesting. I hear numerous people talk about just exercise and what that does for them in so many different ways. And I've still got to get my tail kicked in gear to get back to exercising. So anyway, uh, what about uh, how do you like to give back? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's certainly a big part for us. Uh, we, we donate to a, a number of nonprofits, environmental causes, uh, like protect our winters, uh, wild bird society. You know, my parents are actually from another country. They're from the Ukraine. First generation born here, but kind of what's going on there is, it is just shocking, horrifying and, you know, donating some of our profits and sending them that way and working with where we can uh, outsourcing to some third party uh, Ukrainian firms. Mike, it's been a pleasure to meet you and have you on the show uh, and I uh, look forward to just staying connected with you. Uh, and on, the, on that note, how, how can the listeners connect with you as well and learn more about you? Yeah, so I am um, active on social media. Uh, it would be LinkedIn. Just Mike Gilman is my handle there. Check out our website, crossmountaincapital.com, where you could uh, sign up for uh, you know our distribution list or just reaching out to me uh, directly, Mike, at uh, crossmountaincapital.com. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.